0: You're listening to the Sermon Cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Hear now God's word. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, Have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As Jesus went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And Jesus called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him." Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and sickness among the people. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, bless the reading of your word, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts. For your glory, now and forever. Amen. I love all the action in this passage of Scripture. I'm drawn to it. There's so much movement, and so much is contained in this one passage. A capsule of Jesus' beginnings. You'll notice on the front of your bulletin, there's a piece of art there, and I chose it because of the action it portrays. You can find lots of beautiful art of Jesus calling disciples, but they seem too frozen. This one on the front today has movement, leaning forward, a ripple in the water, if you will. It's real. It's a little gritty, and I love that. It can bring it right home to me. You see, here in this passage, Jesus is beginning. He's all baptized and the Holy Spirit is upon Him. And he's been to the wilderness and tested, and now he's ready for ministry to begin. The first thing he does is he heads north, back to the area he came from. And he heads over, actually, to um, another town, Capernaum, we read. Capernaum, you need to know, was a bigger town than Nazareth. A couple thousand people. They had a Roman century there. They had a synagogue. It was a little more important, a little more bustling, and it was right on the Sea of Galilee. There's a harbor there. Jesus was moving there, going there to set up his home base, if you will. I love it because as he moves to that area of the Galilee, he's he's fulfilling what Isaiah had prophesied. He's going to the place, the unlikely place, where people had been waiting and waiting and waiting for the light. And he would be the one that would come from that spot, the unlikely place. Here, as He moves about, He doesn't just start His healing and teaching on His own. No, you know this about Jesus, He's not a one-man show. He's not there for a night, one night only. No, Jesus starts off His ministry right away, building a team. I love it here because it's a little different than the other rabbis of that time. If you were a scholar and a a well-known rabbi, folks might come to you, students, and say, I want to study with you. Do you have room for me in your class? Here though Jesus turns it around. Jesus actually goes after the people. Jesus initiates the conversation. He initiates the action. He reaches out. Isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like God's love? Expanding, reaching, reaching and reaching. And that's why Jesus is the one that initiates and goes beyond. And we're going to see it all through the Gospels, how he goes beyond the boundaries. He reaches up and down and out and in. It's just like God's love that expands naturally. One of, I call it, its natural properties. God's love has to grow. It's like when you put Mentos in a Diet Coke bottle. Have you ever done that? And the foam starts coming out. We did a volcano at Bible school last year, and Mr. Ned had it all rigged up. And sure enough, the foam started coming. And just when you thought it had stopped, oh, there comes some more. That's God's love. It just bubbles out. It won't be contained. So Jesus starts building his team He wants his ministry to live on beyond his short life. He builds a team. He's all about sustainability to keep the message going. It gives me chills. Here we sit, the year 2022. It worked. He builds this team and he does it in an unlikely way. He goes to some guys just minding their own business, and this is where it really grabs my attention. He uses a simple phrase, follow me. And then he tells the fisherman, I will make you fish for people. What? What in the world? And what really gets me? There's not a long discussion. There's not a contract back and forth. Let's discuss it. Do I get time off? There's none of that. Instead, all of a sudden, it says in the Bible, immediately they left their nets and they began to follow Jesus. For emphasis, we get another story in case we missed it, in case we skipped by those two verses too fast. Jesus finds another set of brothers. This time they leave their dad in the boat. They drop what they're doing. They stop in the middle of their lives and follow There's no backstory here. I wonder what was going on, what about Jesus pulled them? Was it sheer curiosity? Had they heard, you know, Nazareth was a tiny place, Capernaum wasn't that big, maybe they'd heard about this guy. He'd done a little healing, he'd done a little preaching, the baptism wasn't that far away. Were they curious? Were they wondering? I wonder if maybe it's not explained because it didn't need to be. By the time they wrote it down and they were passing on this story, maybe everyone listening would hear that immediately and they would nod. Yeah, I remember the day that I looked in Jesus' face, that I felt his forgiveness, the grace, the healing, Maybe everyone just knew. Maybe it was a still small voice for some. Maybe it was an awe moment. Immediately they were drawn to this man of Nazareth. The art on the front of your bulletin carries action, but what's cool about it, it does have a backstory. It was painted by James Tussaud, an artist of the late 1800s who's famous for beautiful, colorful portraits of high society folks in Paris and London. He made a great living at that. But he had a dramatic call like these fishermen did. He was a devout Catholic and went to Mass often and sometimes painted biblical um, passages in modern um, um, Paris, if you will. The prodigal son is a beautiful one you should look and see. But one day in his 40s, he was sitting in mass, just like regular times, and he had a dramatic call of God. He had a vision of Jesus helping those who were lonely and heartbroken and hurt, and he felt compelled to paint it. And then from there, he felt the call of God to portray the life of Christ in paintings, realistic paintings. So for 10 years, he studied scripture, archaeology, history. He traveled to the Holy Land numerous times interviewing rabbis, Bedouin shepherds, sometimes in disguise so they would really talk to him. He got their story about life there. And then he painted 350 paintings of the various parts of Jesus' life. Almost everything in the Gospel is portrayed in one of his paintings. When he finally exhibited it in Paris, there was a revival going on in Paris, it got great renown, not because of its artistic wonder, but because it gave folks a window into this historic Jesus. It made its tour and came to North America, actually, um, in the late, about 1898, I think. And it was there, under the encouragement of John Singer Sargent, that the Brooklyn Museum purchased all 350 paintings. They still hold them. And occasionally they do an exhibit and they actually have made a book in the last 12 years of these paintings. The coolest part of that story is that they were purchased by public subscription. People gave money to buy the paintings so the museum could hold them. James Tussaud was called by God. hundred years later, his work is fishing for people, blessing us. Now, dramatic call is not all how God works. I think more often it's more in the ordinary day routine that I hear Jesus call. I love the story of my friend Rachel's dad. His name was Ralph Hamburger. And he attributes just an ordinary time to beginning his walk of faith. You see, he was a displaced German Jew who lived in the Netherlands in the late 1930s. His family had left Germany before it became too dangerous. In 1942, he was 19 years old and living with a Christian family in hiding in Amsterdam so he could work. There in that Christian family, every night, Father Decker would have a prayer over dinner and would read a passage of Scripture. Ralph Hamburger remembers it. He lived two years with that family. That was his first introduction to faith and God. Ralph writes in his memoir, those prayers were a balm for my hungry soul. A touch of God had come into my life. It was a small thing. Over the two years there, he was invited to go to the underground communicants class of the Reformed Church. And in Easter 1944, he committed his life, um, professed his faith at that church as they met. But he didn't stay there long. It became too dangerous in Amsterdam, especially with his work with the resistance. But Ralph Hamburger didn't stop hearing the call of God at that dinner table. God continued through Jesus to invite him. First it was to come to America and live. Next it was to visit the Hollywood Presbyterian Church and get involved in their young adults. Or he became a, a member of a group that actually in the early 50s returned to Germany to help reconciliation between those who had been in the Nazi army and those who remained. Then he went on to finish college in California. Then he went on to seminary at Princeton Seminary. Then he went on to pastor a church in Hedden Heights, New Jersey. Then he went on to decades of work behind the Iron Curtain, encouraging pastors to keep the faith through the Berlin Fellowship. He became a fisher of people, gathering folks in with the love of God. Friends, all along life's way, God reaches out to us too in ordinary moments. It might be through someone's steady keeping of the faith where you get a glimmer of God's love for you. It might be the prick of your heart and empathy for someone's great need that Jesus is calling you, follow me, follow me. If you are longing for more of those moments, if you want to hear Jesus, if you're hungry for that. It helps to put yourself in a likely place. Maybe in service to others. Maybe around people of faith. Maybe in worship or study. For sure in scripture and prayer. And I will tell you this. You always must be watchful. For you never know where God will appear and His call will be heard. I'll never forget years ago in the late 90s when I was on the Dominican Republic mission trip. And it was a spring break trip, and um, in somebody's wisdom, they decided to let the high schoolers go without parents. <laughs> yes. And I was to be their chaperone. This is before I had children and understood. I was nervous. As usual, I was dreading it, like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen out of my control? Most of the, ch- the girls were very sweet. Some of them are probably sitting here right now. But there was one. Mm who's quite bold. Quite bold. I was nervous the whole week. She might just escape, run away, cause trouble. Didn't know. Had eyes on her at every turn. Make sure she was at breakfast. Make sure she was at lunch. Make sure she was at Bible study. We were almost done. It was near the end of the week, and we gathered for our um, worship service there at the end. We were having communion, and we were doing a a hand-washing ceremony based on Jesus' foot-washing ceremony, and I had told them all about it, and we were prepared, and all the basins were given out, and we were all around the tables, and it began to commence. And at that very moment, I realized I had not left myself a place at any table, and I thought, this doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, how am I going to squeeze in? Who can I bump, you know? And as only God would do, God moved in the heart of that bold teenager, and she was the very one that scooched her friend over and said, you can sit right here, Ainsley. And she was the very one that washed my hands. It was a nudge, a, a reminder of God's spirit. It was more than just an encouragement to me. It was a call. I'm not beyond anyone. Jesus, using God's love, will gather, use anyone to gather people in. I was touched and the grace just expounded in my heart. What I will tell you is this, when you hear Jesus call and you dare to step out of the boat and you dare to cross the threshold to follow him, I'm going to warn you, Jesus might take you out of your comfort zone. Jesus might encourage you and shape you to grow up into a maturity of faith you didn't really know or understand before. I can guarantee you it will not be simple, easy, with rainbows and sprinkles every day. There will be difficulty and there will be complexity. Just this week, I've been reading a great book by Diane Butler Bass called Freeing Jesus. And she writes about facing the complexity of faith as part of discipleship. And she writes about how she knew Jesus as friend when she was a little girl, and then as teacher and master as she got older. But then when she was doing doctoral work in church history, actually, she began to understand Jesus in a different way. She was studying how the church's behavior didn't really meet with the church's beliefs, and that gave her struggle. She writes, I learned that faith must be cloaked in humility and open to honest criticism about where the church had gone wrong. Faith, after all, is a sister of hope and love, an aspect of trust and a way of life. Her faith had moved, her understanding of Jesus, her relationship with Jesus had shifted to a sense of way and presence. I love that that's so true that our relationship with Jesus is not stagnant. You don't know it all by the time you are in confirmation. You don't know it all by the time you baptize your children. You don't know it all by the time your kids go to college. You don't know it all. Jesus hasn't worked in our hearts with enough love until our last breath and we walk into glory. It's active, it's living. Hmm. Eugene Peterson writes about this Jesus action. He calls it the Jesus risk. We want God on our side so that we will have security. But Jesus calls us to a life full of hazard, we enter into the act of worship and expose our lives to scripture and find something far better than a sure thing. We find a living Lord and an active faith full of unpredictability. Our relationship with Jesus is so much more than we can expect. Maybe this is why Jesus' words on that shore years ago were so simple— follow me. He was going to say it a lot. And friends, we hold on right now to the biblical witness of those words. You see, Jesus' words aren't just words like you and I have. They're performative. They're like blessings. They have electricity and power in them. What Jesus calls us to do, he gives us power to do. The Holy Spirit power that works in us to hear it, to consider moving and following it, and then to actually take in the first step. When I was a little girl, I had a fear of escalators. I discussed this with someone after chapel service. It might be a thing. Some other people said they have it. And I would get to the escalator at the mall and I would stop, hesitate. And that caused problems for my brother and sister behind me because it would become a great big traffic jam there in the mall. My mother figured it out quickly, and I still remember to this day, many a time, walking up to an escalator and hesitating at the threshold, and just when I hesitated, out of the corner of my eye, I would see her hand, the glimmer of her wedding ring, and the warmth grab my hand, it was strong, and together our feet would step on that first step. Friends, when Jesus calls, the Holy Spirit is that hand. The Holy Spirit supplies strength to us to help us follow. And the coolest thing of all is it's not just something we can't see. The Holy Spirit works through all of us. You see, Jesus is with us in the Holy Spirit and Jesus is working in you. And we have one another, one another to find our way with God. And I'll leave you with this one last thought. Why? It's for a grand purpose. We belong to something bigger, like God's love that won't be contained. Norman Werspa writes these words, explaining it all. I love this. God's love creates a beautiful world, but our distortion and denial of this love leads to life's degradation. God does not give up on us, or any creature, and so God works to redirect our waywardness so that we can participate with God in the healing of all life. The goal of God's love is for it to be fully active in the life of each and every creature. When that happens, life becomes heavenly. Friends, may we step across the threshold and take Jesus' hand. God's love will not let us go. Breathe it in. Breathe it out. God's love is here for you today like every day. Together, hand in hand, with God by our side, we will find our way with Jesus to life eternal. Amen and amen.